Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 339. Today's big Bible question, how can we be great and exalted? Hello, friends, and a happy and blessed Monday to you. We've got some pretty fascinating Bible passages today, all of them quite significant. We find in 1 Chronicles 29, for instance, David charging his son Solomon to build the temple of the Lord and giving him some powerful counsel that's still appropriate for us today. As for you, verse 9 says, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. Realize now that the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Well, this good counsel in there from father to son. Serve God wholeheartedly and willingly. Seek him and you will find him. But if you abandon God, he will abandon you. Sobering words, considering that Solomon either very nearly or actually did abandon God. I like the ending, too. The advice that David gives to his son, be strong and do it. Now, some of you know that God has called you to do something, and you're dragging your feet. I've done that before, too. So let's let these words echo in our hearts and minds, be strong and do it. Now, going on to Micah chapter 5, we find the prophecy that indicates Bethlehem will be the birthplace of the Messiah. It says, Micah 5 verse 1, Now daughter, who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And we see in that passage that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. We also see that people have been cutting or wounding themselves in grief for thousands of years. Every generation has this tendency to look at the younger generations and see them as inferior and more egregiously sinful than their own generation, and to see a sort of slouching into Camorra situation. And yet, humility, humanity has been fallen for thousands of years, and it languishes greatly apart from Christ in literally every generation. Now, Second Peter 2 is one of the most uh, unique chapters in the Bible. If you've ever thought about becoming a false teacher of the Word of God so that you can seduce women, get rich, and live life easily, I would encourage you to listen really closely when the, we read this chapter because you will immediately be terrified. Now, I know that likely none of you have ever thought about that. I'm being a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I am pointing out that Second Peter 2 shows us that the judgment for False teachers is both terrible and terrifying. Now, it also contains this fascinating little nugget of truth in uh, verse 4, where it says, If God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and I'm not sure exactly what to make of that passage. It's very interesting. So there are angels in hell uh, that are delivered uh, in chains of utter darkness, waiting for, I suppose, the return of Jesus for the ultimate judgment. 
It's an interesting and unsettling passage. But today we're not going to focus on any of those. We're going to focus on a parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 14 about humility. But even before we do that, I'd like to point out a less well-known teaching of Jesus in Luke 14 that is a command that many Christians either ignore or maybe more likely they don't just know about it. And yet, I believe it's a very important command of Jesus, and obeying this command comes with a built-in and internal reward. So Luke 14, 12, 13, and 14 says, He also said to the one who had invited him, that's Jesus said, When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed lame or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now that's interesting, and I don't think that's hypothetical or merely just a thing Jesus says. I think he's 100% serious. We should, in the church and individually, be doing that sort of thing. Now the parable on humility. I love it, mainly because it teaches us a very important spiritual truth that's repeated all throughout the Bible, but also because it's really remarkably practical. It's almost shrewd. You know, thinking about it, I guess it really is shrewd. And Jesus doesn't really make any bones about it being shrewd. If you assume you are awesome and put yourself in the number one ultimate place of awesomeness, then prepare to be humbled by finding out that you not might not be all that, Jack. However, says Jesus, if you intentionally put yourself in the lowest position, you will find yourself honored when you will be placed in a higher position. So let's read Luke 14, and then we'll talk a little bit about this passage. Luke chapter 14, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. One Sabbath, when Jesus went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law expert and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you might have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend. Move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. 
I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, What you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be Fold, for I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So the key thought in that parable, and gosh, there's so much we could cover in Luke 14, might be worth reading again and again. But verse 11 for Jesus's parable of the banquet, uh, or the seats at the banquet, I guess I should say, where you should seat yourself at a banquet, the key thought there is found in verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So if you go to a banquet and you sit in the finest seat, you might find yourself moved because somebody more important than you might be there. This is a practical example Jesus gives us of somebody who is being being abased or humbled. On the other hand, if you go to a banquet or a gathering or a party and sit in the least important place, you might find yourself honored and put in a higher place because... The principle is, this is an illustration of the fact that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that thought, expressed in slightly different ways, is one of the most oft-repeated sentiments in the Bible. It shows up even a few times in the Old Testament. An example, Ezekiel 21-26, where it says, Remove the turban and take off the crown. Things will not remain as they are. Exalt the lowly and bring down the exalted. Or how about Luke one fifty two? He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Matthew twenty three twelve. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Or later on in Luke eighteen, Jesus tells a parable about two people praying and says, "I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. One was a sinner, and the other was a religious official." Uh, The sinner was the justified one. And Jesus says, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How about James 4.10? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Matthew 18.4, a little bit different, similar idea though. Whoever humbles himself like this 
child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and probably the longest one, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Of course, we just read this and discussed it a couple of days ago, and we can't discuss it enough. Other places, too, God, we see that God is opposed to pride, and he raises up the lowly. And I'll tell you, most people don't live in light of this reality, but I guarantee that if you do, you will be eternally, eternally grateful that you did. Now, John Newton is the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace, you know, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, and the former slave trader who was gloriously saved by Jesus, but he never forgot, even later in his life when he was a pastor and minister and mentor to other young ministers, he never forgot that he used to be a slave trader and that he was once lost in a wretch. He walked in incredible humility. I didn't know him, seeing as how he lived in the 1700s, and I'm not that old, but based on his writings and his letters, he seems like a man that just exuded humility. A couple of letters to his friends, he closed with a great exhortation to humility, one of which says, We observe that believers who have most knowledge are not necessarily the most spiritual. Some may and and do walk more honorably and more comfortably with two talents than others with five talents. Of course, that's talking about Jesus' parable of the talents. He who experimentally knows his own weakness and depends simply upon the Lord will surely thrive, though his acquired attainments and abilities may be but small. And he who has the greatest gifts, the clearest judgment, and the most extensive knowledge, if he indulges high thoughts of his advantages, is in imminent danger of mistaking and falling at every step. For the Lord will suffer none whom he loves to boast in themselves. He will guide the meek with his eye and fill the hungry with good things, but the rich he sends away empty. It's an invariable maxim in his kingdom that whoever exalts himself will be abased, but he that humbles himself shall be exalted. That's a great way to end a letter. And in another letter to an entirely different person, he says this, another pastor he's writing to, let us heartily and wish, wish and pray that all who preach Jesus may do it with more power and success than we can ourselves. We will not be poor for their riches, but our Lord and theirs will take it well of us. And if he sees us simply content to take the lowest place in his kingdom, he will raise us up higher. For it is a standing law in his kingdom that he that humbleth himself will be exalted. And amen to that. We should pay much attention to it. Let us remember then and live in light of that standing law of God's kingdom. They who humble themselves will be exalted and those of pride will be brought low. May it be so. Amen. Well, let's continue in the aforementioned 1 Chronicles 28 verse 1. David assembled all the leaders of Israel in Jerusalem, the leaders of the tribes 
The leaders of the divisions in the king's service, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and cattle of the king and his sons, along with the court officials, the fighting men, and all the best soldiers. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, brothers and my people. It was in my heart to build a house as a resting place for the ark of the Lord's covenant and as a footstool for our God. I had made preparations to build, but God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me out of all my father's family to be king over Israel forever, for he chose Judah as leader, and from the house of Judah my father's family, and from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. And out of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the Lord's kingdom over Israel." He said to me, Your son Solomon is the one who is to build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever, if he perseveres in keeping my commands and my ordinances as he is doing today. So now in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and follow all the commands of the Lord your God, so that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance to your descendants forever. As for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will reject you forever. Realize now that the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple and its buildings, treasuries, upstairs rooms, inner rooms, and a room for the mercy seat. The plans contained everything he had in mind for the courts of the Lord's house, all the surrounding chambers, the treasuries of God's house, and the treasuries for what is dedicated. Also included were plans for the divisions of the priests and the Levites, all the work of service in the Lord's house, all the articles of service of the Lord's house, the weight of gold for all the articles of every kind of service, the weight of all the silver silver articles for every kind of service, the weight of the gold lampstands and their gold lamps, including the weight of each lampstand and its lamps, the weight of each silver lampstand and its lamps, according to the service of each lampstand, the weight of gold for each table, for the rose of the bread of the presence and the silver for the silver tables, the pure gold for the forks, sprinkling basins and pitchers, the weight of each gold dish, the weight of each silver bowl, the weight of refined gold for the altar of incense, and the plans for the chariot of the gold cherubim that spread out their wings and cover the ark of the Lord's covenant. David concluded, By the Lord's hand on me, he enabled me to understand everything in writing, all the details of the plan. Then David said to his son Jonathan, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He won't leave you or abandon you until all the work for the service of the Lord's house is finished. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of God's house. Every willing person of any skill will be at your disposal for the work, and the leaders and all the people are at your every command. Amen. We continue in Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Now, daughter who is under attack, you slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord and the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. He will be their peace. 
When Assyria invades our land, when it marches against our fortresses, we will raise against it seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with a sword, the land of Nimrod with a drawn blade. So he will rescue us from Assyria when it invades our land, when it marches against our territory. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or linger for mankind. Then the remnant of Jacob will be among the nations, among many peoples, like a lion among animals of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, which tramples and tears as it passes through, and there is no one to rescue them. Your hand will be lifted up against your adversaries, and all your enemies will be destroyed. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, I will remove your horses from you and wreck your chariots. I will remove the cities of your land and tear down all your fortresses. I will remove sorceries from your hands, and you will not have any more fortune tellers. I will remove your carved images and sacred pillars from you, so that you will no longer worship the work of your hands. I will put up the Asherah poles from among you and demolish your cities. I will take vengeance and anger and wrath against the nations that have not obeyed me. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, And if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold, arrogant people, they are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, slander what they do not understand, and in their destruction they too will be destroyed. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed. Children, under a curse, they have gone astray by abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balin, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of wickedness but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them, for by uttering boastful empty words they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. 
For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than, after knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow returns to wallowing in the mud. Lord have mercy. And may that proverb not be true of us, dear brothers and sisters. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he preserve you, enable you to persevere in following him. May he humble the proud and exalt the lowly among us. Good day to you and Godspeed.